So let's go to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, and we're going to go to chapter number 8. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8 this morning. And uh, my wife is with me. Uh, her name is Alexa, and then our two boys are here as well. Mason's five, and Logan is two. I'm sure you will get to know them this week. And uh, we're excited about what the Lord's going to do in uh, hearts and lives. And a uh, pizza tomorrow night. I mean, man, hallelujah. I'm ready already, all right? I think, you, you, I mean, wow. You know, you can, have, you can have pizza without revival, but you can't have revival without pizza. I've, I've discovered that. And so we got to, I'm, I'm excited about that. And so uh, I trust you'll be here tomorrow night and uh, back tonight as well. And uh, man, I think uh, the most important announcement that was made was the, the, the prayer meeting in pastor's office at 5 p.m. tonight. Is that correct? And uh, man, uh, tr- 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 truly, uh, you cannot have revival without prayer. And so, uh, man, if you can make it out to that, uh, we would we would love to see you there as uh, we really just... Uh, Beg the Lord uh, to to do something that only He can do this week. And uh, even if you can't make it, would you take time time at five o'clock wherever you are just to pray that the Lord would work in the service uh, tonight? We'd love to see you pray with us. But uh, if if you can't be here for for one reason or another, uh, man, just right where you're at, just just spend some moments uh, asking God and begging God to do what only He can do this week. And uh, we're asking for a lot. We're asking God to uh, change us, and uh, that that requires some work. And so uh, let's let, let's ask Him to do what only He can do this week. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number eight. Would you pick up the story with me in verse twenty-two, verse number twenty-two of Luke, chapter number eight? It says, "Now it came to pass on a certain day when He went into a ship with His disciples." And he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And they arrived at the country of the Gadareans, which is over against Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have to gather in, uh, Lord, uh, this house. And Lord, I pray that uh, as your word is now opened, I pray that, uh, that our hearts would be open. Lord, I pray that the word goes forth, that the spirit would go with it, and that, Lord, it would accomplish exactly what you've sent it to accomplish, that, Lord, it would not return void this morning, but that, Lord, our hearts would, would receive. And, Lord, would that, uh, as that good soil, Lord, would we soak up the word of God, and, Lord, would we begin to see the spirit of God produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, help me this morning. I need your help. I need your power. Lord, I certainly need your energy and your passion, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me say exactly what you'd have me to say, and that, Lord, your word would, Lord, work in hearts and lives this week. May we not just be challenged and, 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 and Lord, convicted and encouraged this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would change us, and I'm asking that we would leave different than we've come in. Well, thank you for it and praise you for it. Lord, we'll give you all the glory for it. You're the only one worthy of it. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. 
The setting of this scripture is on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee lies 680 feet below sea level. It's nestled between hills that peak at about 1,500 feet above sea level. And so given the right weather conditions, the cold air that would rush down from those hills would collide with the warm air that would rush up from that sea, and it could form funnels of incredible wind almost instantly. Storms would just erupt on the Sea of Galilee, uh, not daily, but, 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 but out of nowhere. It, it was unpredictable. They were unavoidable. They were certainly unmistakable. And the storms that come on the Sea of Galilee are much like the storms of life. They're unpredictable. They're unavoidable. And they're most certainly unpredictable. I can't speak for everyone in the room this morning, but I'm guessing that these last few years have been uh, a storm. I'm guessing that as the, the world was shut down back in March of 2020, it was... A little bit of a earth-rattling experience. I'm guessing we weren't expecting that. I'm guessing that that was certainly unmistakable of what uh, was happening and perhaps unavoidable as well. Um, man, we were, uh, we, we were excited. We, we, we had launched into full-time evangelism in 2020. That was a great decision. January 1st, 2020, we held our first revival meeting uh, full-time. We, we had been traveling and doing some meetings b- before that, but I was working out of my brother's church and just traveling when the Lord would allow, and we had stepped out by faith. January 2020, that's the, that, that's the start date. You know, hindsight is 2021, Pastor. I mean, I think I would have, I think, I think hindsight would have been 2021, and uh, you know, the Lord was the leading, and the Lord was good, and our first few months were, were wonderful, and we were headed back uh, to our home church. I was going to preach a family day at our home church and then head to California and do some meetings there. And on the way to California, I was getting calls from pastors. Uh, hey, uh, things aren't looking good here. We're going to have to cancel the revival meeting. We're actually closing the college down. We got to, we got to turn all that off. And, uh, it was just kind of a, a little bit unpredictable. And I remember driving on those streets and was very self-centered, right? Like, God, what, what are you doing here? I mean, this is, you know, and then you turn on the radio, you turn on the news and, You realize this is affecting not just you, Eric. This is affecting the world. This is affecting uh, the world. And um, man, things just didn't get up from there, did they? Talk about uh, government shutdowns and racial tension, political division. This is like the whole year and even now bleeding into 2021. I mean, we're almost done with 2021 and we're still dealing with all of the same stuff. And it just is 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 tedious and it's hard and it's unpredictable and it's unavoidable. Every conversation you're in leads to it and it's tough. And that's on a very general basis, but I mean, I think we could probably all get very specific about the storms that have hit every single one of us hard. Trials to ourselves, like 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 you know, it, it's difficult to talk about so many people dying, but it hits a little closer to home when it's when it's when it's your family member, or when it's your neighbor. It hits a little closer to home when it's when it's you getting the diagnosis from the doctor, or when it's you facing some tension. It, 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 we all face storms on a regular basis. And I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to sit in a world like this and feel like I just don't belong, right? Especially as a Christian, right? And I guess, I guess we're supposed to feel that way. Like, like this world's not our home. Ultimately, we're not citizens of America. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are certainly thankful for that. But at the same time, like God has left us here. 
This is where we are. Like, it's not the one day yet. And so where do we turn to in this, in the storm? Who do we go to for security, for calm, as chaos brews around us? Where can we find our calm? Where can we find some peace in the midst of all the panic? And I believe that Luke chapter number 8 is in the Bible to remind us of some things in times of storms. This story is life-changing for the disciples. Um, It's recorded in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all record this story, and they all record it a little bit differently from their perspective. And what I find just so amazing about any time a story kind of like shows up over and over again in Scripture is that it had to be important for the disciples. It had to teach them something that night that impacted them for the rest of their lives. I guess you could say, well, every encounter with Jesus was like that. We don't have every moment of their lives recorded. And yet this story is recorded over and over and over again. Why? Well, because storms are something you face over and over and over again. The lessons the disciples learned on the waters that night were the same lessons they took with them when the trials came in the book of Acts and the trials came over and over and over again. They they were reminded of the lessons they learned in Luke chapter number 8. And I want to look at three reminders that we can learn in times of storms to bring us some calm in the midst of chaos. Would you notice, first of all, with me, a reminder of God's presence in times of storms? A reminder of God's presence in times of storms. Would you look at verse number 22 again here? It says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over onto the other side of the lake, and they launch forth, but as they sell. So like the Bible is overly emphasizing the fact that the disciples are not being sent on this journey alone, right? Jesus is going with them. He's getting in the boat with them. He's launching forth with them. He is selling with them. Jesus is there with them. And the truth this morning is that God does not promise that we will miss the presence of storms, but he does assure us of his presence in the storm. He does tell us that he will be with us. Hey, let's let's be reminded this morning, Christian, that with Jesus, we are never alone. He has promised that he will be with us whithersoever we goest. I love the verse in in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number two that says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And though the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. God says, listen, I am there for you. The waters will not take you under. In the times of storms, when it feels like you're drowning, rest assured, I am with you. Hebrews 13 and verse number 5 says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those words paint a powerful image. The word leave there literally has the idea to let sink, that they have been left out to drown. And God says, that's not the kind of God I am. 
When I see someone struggling, I'm there. I'm with them. I don't leave them and I don't forsake them. The word there means to abandon or to desert in time of war or battle. And God again says, no, no, no. I'm the God that doesn't leave when, 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 when you're under attack. I'm there. I'm the shelter in the time of storm. I'm the strong tower. I'm your shield. I am with you. God's presence is near this morning. He is with us. With Jesus, we are never alone. Don't lose your confidence in Christ at the first sign of crisis. So oftentimes we, we know God's with us when things are great, but the moment something crisis happens, the, the, the moment chaos brews, we forget that He is still there. I, I think of the children of Israel in, in Exodus chapter 14. They are leaving the realm of the known. They're entering into the realm of the unknown, right? Uh, they are they are following this 80-something-year-old leader, Moses, who has this vision from the Lord that it's time to leave Egypt. They've seen God work 10 plagues in Egypt to get them out of there. And they are marching into the wilderness, and they are singing praises. They are lifting their hands with hallelujahs like, yes, this is the moment we've been waiting for. We're going back to the promised land. They've got Joseph's bones like, yes, we're fulfilling his dying wish. And they're but a few hours into the journey. And they find themselves between a Red Sea and two mountains. And just when they think Moses took, you know, the old man, he took a wrong turn. You know, he got lost on the journey. They turn around and see the Egyptian army chasing after them. And all of a sudden, these same people who were singing praises and, and woohoo, we're free from Egypt are now saying, what are we doing out here? We're all going to die, Moses. Moses, did you bring us out here to die? In the? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Moses, let's just retreat. Oh, they were all filled with confidence until crisis came. And Moses stands up in the midst of this chaos that's brewing. And he says, hey, fear not. Stand still. That's bad advice. You don't stand still. No, no, no. The enemy's coming. We got to get out of here, Moses. What are we going to do? Moses says, we're not going to do anything. We're going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord for he, which he was showing you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. For the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. What's Moses saying? Moses is confident here because he realized the God that brought them to the Red Sea was the God that was going to meet them in the Red Sea. And it was that same God that was going to get them through the Red Sea. Moses understood, listen, God doesn't just send us to a place and then abandon us. He is here, He is with us, and He is going to work in this situation. We just have to trust Him. And you know the story. God splits that Red Sea open like an elevator door for the nation of Israel to cross through and he closes it just as fast as the Egyptian army chases after them. And the words of Moses that they will see the Egyptians no more again forever came true in the Israelites' life. They never faced Egypt as an enemy again. Why? Because one man was willing to stay confident on the presence of God. Hey, don't lose sight of him in times of storms. Keep your eyes fixed on 
Jesus, the devil wants to get you distracted. The devil in these days wants to, wants to get you to look at this and look over here at this problem and this problem. Look around you. And God is calling out to you saying, no, no, no. Look up. Look unto the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus is still worthy to gaze upon, my friends. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. A reminder of God's presence. Hey, can we be encouraged this morning by this thought? Jesus is in the boat. He's in the boat. Whatever storm you're going through, whatever trial you're facing, whatever rough, dark day you're in, Jesus is in the boat. He's there. A reminder of his presence. Would you notice secondly though, a reminder of God's posture in times of storms? A reminder of his posture in times of storms. So we continue reading in verse 23. It says, but as they sailed, he, that's Jesus, fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Okay, so this is just amazing to me. Jesus has told them, we're going to go to the other side of the sea. Well, what is on the other side of the sea? Well, the Bible says that when they get there, they come to the land of the Gadareans. Um, that is the land of the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was 10 cities that were made up entirely of pagan people. Sure, there were some Jews that perhaps had gone and lived there, but they were kind of reprobate Jews. I mean, the Decapolis is not something you went to if you were a Jewish person. In the, in the religious uh, triangle that Jesus kind of does the majority of his ministry in, the people there, they never talked about the Decapolis. In fact, you couldn't even say the name Decapolis. You had to call it like a far distant country or the other side. Like you just didn't go over there. The stuff they did over there, not for us. We don't go there. We don't talk about it. And so Jesus is like, hey, let's go to the other side of the sea. And Peter's like, my mom's going to kill me if she finds out I'm going to the other side of the sea. And the book of Matthew, the Bible says that they took Jesus in the boat with them. And in the Greek, it's a little bit more harder. Like, it's a little bit like there's some tension there. Like, like the people on the, on the one side of the sea were like trying to keep him there. And the disciples were like, no, he wants to go. Like, let him go. And so they're sun across the sea and the disciples are nervous. They're like, we've never been to the Decapolis. We're not supposed to go to the Decapolis. There could be all sorts of like, demon-possessed people over there, which is funny because the first person they meet is this man possessed by demons, and he's completely naked, and that's just kind of an odd scene, right? And so they get there, and they're like, okay, that's why my parents didn't want me going over here, right? And they're getting the boat, and they're nervous, like, what are we going to, why, why are we going over here? What's, what is Jesus' plan? And Jesus falls asleep. He takes a nap. Now, I've always liked that because I'm like, yeah, I like naps, and so when I'm napping, and people are like, well, why do you take naps? Well, because I'm trying to be like Jesus, okay? Like, I just, I want to be a little more like him. Naps are good for the soul. But he takes a nap. But why is he napping? I mean, yeah, he, he's showing his human nature, that he is 100% man, and later in this passage, he's going to show he's 100% God. And while that's awesome, and I love it, I don't think that's the only reason he's going to sleep. Can you think of a person in Scripture that got on a boat to go to a pagan nation who got into the bottom of the boat and fell asleep on his journey. Who is that man? Jonah. Yeah, it comes right to our mind. And I think Jesus goes to the back of the boat and falls asleep on a pillow, and he's got one eye open like, we're doing the Jonah story today. 
We're going to the pagan nation of Nineveh or the Decapolis, and we're going to go see revival over there. We're going to go see lives changed over there. That's where we're going today. That's why we're sailing across the sea. So he's sleeping, and they're sitting there going, I don't really get this. This is not comfortable. And a storm breaks out because, of course, a storm breaks out. Like, this is God punishing us for going to the Decapolis. We're not supposed to go to the Decapolis. And this storm is like none other storm mentioned in Scripture. Uh, Mark, I think it's Matthew that calls it a great tempest. The Greek word's there, mega seismos, meaning mega as in great, and Tempest or seismos meaning the shaking of the earth. I mean, this is just wild. Like waves are everywhere. Matthew says the waves are over the boat. Mark says the waves are beating against the boat. Luke here says that the waves were in the boat. They're filled with water. Some people look at that like, well, which one was it? That seems like a contradiction in scripture. No, no, it's all three. The waves are everywhere. This is a life-threatening storm. The Bible says here they were in jeopardy. They are fearing for their lives. They think this is the end of the road. And what's Jesus doing? Oh, yeah, he's still sleeping. Like, he's still asleep. I think about that. They are panicking. He's at complete peace. They are restless, and he is at rest. They are screaming, and he's snoring in the back of the boat. They are in danger, and he's dreaming. He is asleep, and they are struggling. Hey, can I just encourage you with this? Our God is a storm sleeper. You say, how's that encouraging? How's it encouraging to know that while we face life-threatening storms, don't worry about it, God's sleeping. Doesn't seem very encouraging. You know why that's encouraging to me? Because if God can be at peace in my storm, then I should be able to be at peace in my storm. If he's not panicked, then I have no need to panic. If he's not worried, then I have no need to worry. If he's at peace, then I can be at peace. I can be at rest because my Savior is always at rest. I find it interesting as you read through the biographies of Christ, if you want to call them that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will never find Jesus stressed out. You're never going to find him in a hurry. He's never in a rush. You're never going to read the words, and he sprinted with great rigor. Like, it's just not going to be in there. He never jumps on the horse and is like, yeah, we got to go. In fact, it's like the exact opposite. Like, Martha sends word that her brother Lazarus is dying, and you got to come right now, and Jesus is like, I think I'll wait here a couple of days. Just take this passage, right? They get to the other side. They heal the maniac of Gadara. He's no longer the maniac of Gadara. And then the people want him to go. They're like, get out of here. And so he goes. And the disciples are like, we came over here to do that. And now we're leaving again. Yes, yep, we are. Well, what about the Jonah story? Well, the maniac of Gadara becomes the Jonah. He goes and he reaches the Decapolis. In fact, there's only two times Jesus goes to the Decapolis here and one other time in Scripture. And the next time he comes, there's a crowd of 4,000 waiting to hear his words and he feeds them and he does miracles amongst them. Well, where do they hear about Jesus? From the maniac of Gadara. He's the Jonah. He's the Jonah. That's amazing. It's It's an amazing story. But then they get to the other side and they're back in Capernaum and this crowd is just pressing upon him. And this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, he comes forth and he says, hey, my daughter, she's sick. She's going to die. I know you can heal her. Come with me, please. 
when Jesus pulls out his Palm Pilot and he says, I got to check my calendar, Jarius. I'm pretty busy today. I got to walk on water for some exercise. I got to heal the blind man to turn the water into wine. No. He just doesn't have a calendar that he works on. He doesn't have a schedule. Most of the contents of Scripture that, that we get of Jesus take place because of what I perceive as interruptions in his day. But he doesn't respond to them as interruptions. He responds to them as invitations to do God's work. And so he says, yeah, let, let's go. And so as they're going to Jairus' house, This crowd is thronging upon them, and this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years reaches forth and touches just the hem of his garment and is healed completely. And Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd and says, who touched me? And Peter is like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. There's no social distancing going around here. Everyone has got got their hands all over you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 I felt virtue leave me. There's a story here I want to hear. Who who touched me? And all the crowd's like, oh, no, it wasn't me. I didn't touch you. No, uh -uh, me, not not me. And this woman comes forth. She's afraid. And she says, no, no, no. And you don't understand. I I spent everything. I've seen every doctor there is. I've gone to every place that there is to see. I've spent so much money trying to get fixed and trying to get ill. And I touched just the hem of your garment. And I am healed. And as she tells the story, I mean, you can just see the slow clap begin, you know, like, wow, Jesus, he did it again. That's awesome. Yeah, except if you're Jarius and you're sitting there going, hey, man, this is great. This is kind of why I want you to go fix my daughter. Like, she's already healed. Can we go? Can we go? Can my daughter come touch the hem of your garment? Like, we got to get to my daughter. And as she's telling her story, you know how those can go. You've, you've been to teen camp. Those testimonies take an awful long time to get through. Here comes the servant of Jarius, and he says, trouble the master no longer. Your daughter is dead. What great bedside manner that guy had, right? Your daughter's gone. Too late. And Jarius looks at Jesus. Jesus looks at Jarius, and he goes, I am so sorry. I really blew that. I wanted to hear her story, and I kind of lost track of time, and I apologize, Jerry. I'm sorry. Too late. Oh, Jesus goes in and does the greater miracle. He doesn't just heal her of a sickness. He raises her from the dead. And I tell you all that to say this. Jesus does not react to the world around him. No, he responds to the world around him. He is constantly responding and doing God's work. And he is always in peace. He is never in panic. No situation goes, whoa, that's shocking. No, he always is in control. Um, I'm thankful for the ERT, the emergency response team. That's the team that answers the phone when you call 911, right? Uh, 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, my house is on fire. Okay, are you out of the house? Yeah, yeah, I'm out of the house and, and I got, I got my kids, they're out of the house. Okay, that's great. Is there anybody left in the house? Yeah, my dog Skippy's in the house and I think I need to go get my dog Skippy. No, you know what? Let's leave your dog Skippy. I've already sent the, 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 the nearest fire, uh, uh, team to, to, to your place. The truck will be there in just a moment. They are going to ensure that Skippy is safe. Why don't you just keep everybody away from the house? Keep everybody as far away and they help you respond to the crisis, right? Could you imagine just for a moment with me if they were the emergency react team, right? 
911, what's your mercy? Yeah, my house is on fire. Oh, no, not again. Oh, this is the third house in flames today. Is anybody in the house? Yeah, my dog Skippy's in the house. Go get Skippy. Go get him. You got to get Skippy. No, I mean, that wouldn't be helpful. That'd be terrible. And I tell you what, I believe with all my heart, God has left us here on this earth to be the response team. We're supposed to be the boots on the ground who help people who are reacting in a panic, who are constantly dealing with the chaos in their work and their homes and their world. And we're supposed to show them the Savior who can give them peace and who, who can cast out demons and who can heal w- w- women with diseases and who can raise people from the dead and he can calm the wind and the waves in your life. We're supposed to show them Jesus. But you know what Jesus gets out of us? He gets the react team. My friends, we are the worst in the world at this. Why is it that Christians just overreact to everything? Oh, no. (sighs) Pastor, there's a Delta variant. And it's like, we just assume God's up in heaven like, there's a second COVID? No. God already knows about that. Man, oh, the wrong guy got elected. God, God, did you forget about America? God, no. God doesn't forget about us. It's not like God has too much on his plate to deal with. No, God is very aware of what's going on. And guess what? He's at peace right now. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has occurred to God? And has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God and nothing occurs here on earth without God allowing it to take place? That ought to change the way we respond to our world. In fact, it ought to help us respond to our world instead of reacting to our world. Every little thing has to be something that, oh, this is a sign of the end times. And it may be, but that doesn't mean that we hunker down in a bunker until he comes. That means we go out and get to work. He said, occupy until I come. And occupy doesn't mean suck air. It means go out and do something for God. Go out and get busy. Go out and be the response team because there are people who are dying and going to hell and there are people who don't know that they can have peace if they just go to Jesus. And I love it because they wake Jesus up and Jesus gets up. I added that. That's not in there. I I added that part. Okay, seems like there's a problem here. And he goes to the front of his boat and he rebukes the wind. In, In Mark's gospel, he says, peace be still. And I love how our text records it. And there was a calm. Can anybody use some calm in their life? Oh, yeah. I think all our hands are raised. Hey, guess what? I know where to find it. Come unto me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Listen, Jesus is offering us more than a nap this morning. He's offering us peace for our souls. He's offering us some soul 
rest. Stop your weary heart from panicking. God is offering you rest this morning. His, his presence in times of storms, he is there, but his posture in times of storms, he is at peace. Would you notice finally this morning, his purpose for times of storms? His purpose for times of storms. We are to remember that God has a purpose for the storm. Um, I just love it because the, 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 when the storm hit the, the waters that night, the, the disciples did what they knew, right? After all, the majority of the, of, of the 12 disciples were fishermen who grew up on this very sea. So they would have been familiar, at least with, with some regards, of the storms that could develop. They probably had protocols of what to do when a storm broke out, of how to reach shore safely. They would have been familiar, at least to some degree, with how to fight off a storm. But things that night went from bad to worse to hopeless rather quickly. And there's nothing more frightening or frustrating than facing a storm, giving it your best shot, and coming up short. Um, Storms come with the the reminder that we are not enough. Our talents, our experiences, our gifts, uh, our knowledge is not enough. Storms come with the reminder that we desperately need Jesus. And the disciples, when they woke up Jesus that night, I don't think that it was like what they were intending to do. Like, I think they wake him up being like, Master, we perish. We are going to die, and you need to be awake for this. But when they woke Jesus up, they actually did the only thing that they could do that night. Because it was in that moment that they stopped relying and depending on themselves in the storm. And they started relying and depending in the God who could get up and calm the storm. And I just love this because Jesus rebukes the wind. He says, peace be still. And he turns around and what does he see? Well, it's not a trick question. He sees, uh, he sees his disciples. They're the ones in the boat. Perhaps some of them at this point are out of the boat, right? Because there's this big storm and then there's calm. And so the boat comes crashing down on these still waters. And John flips out of the boat and Peter's standing there with his bucket, you know. I thought this would help, but turns out that was a poor idea. I picture like, you know, Thomas, he's already trying to, he's abandoned ship a long time ago. He's swimming back to Galilee, you know. And Jesus looks at these disciples, soaking wet with their buckets. And he looks at them, perhaps there's fish flopping all around the boat, I don't know. And he looks at them and what does he say? He says, where is your faith? I just find this interesting because he's not saying you don't have faith. He doesn't look at them and say, how you lack in faith. In fact, this is the reason we've come to Luke's account, because Luke records him saying, where is your faith? In other words, he's not questioning if they had faith. He's questioning the location of their faith. The disciples had faith that night. They just had it in the wrong thing. It was in the wrong place. They were trusting in themselves. They were trusting in their abilities and their talents. And Jesus looks at them and says, where's your faith at now? And the disciples answer by saying, what manner of man is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In other words, they say, well, I know where our faith was, but that's not where it's going to be. 
Our faith from now on is in you, man. You command even the winds and the waves. Then, Lord, you can command me. You can give peace to me. You can calm the raging seas in me. Yeah, I was depending on myself. But you're the storm sleeper. You're the God of gods. You're the King of kings. And so my dependence is needing to be in you. And so church, I ask you today, where's your faith? I sure hope it's not in this church. I sure hope your faith isn't in your government. I sure hope your faith isn't in your abilities or your good works or your talents. No, no, no. Our faith this morning has to be placed on the only one who's worthy of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is dependence. Who are you depending on? That's why it requires faith for salvation. Because faith in God for salvation is when you stop depending on the baptismal tank or your good works or, or your good deeds to save you from your sins and you start depending on God and Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. And you say, God, what you did on that cross, what Jesus did on that cross was enough for me. I'm putting my faith in what you did to save me from your sin. That's salvation. My friends, if it works that way for salvation, it works that way for revival, and it works that way for every other area of our lives. When it comes to your marriage, you got to stop depending on yourself to make it work. You got to start depending on God to make it work. And when it comes to balancing your checkbook, you got to stop depending on Dave Ramsey, and you got to start depending on Jesus Christ. And when it comes to, to, to whatever crisis you're in, I tell you, there's no better place than to turn your heart and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you depending on Him this morning? I didn't plan to share this, but I have a, a, a friend of mine. I, I guess I would call her a friend. She, we went to the same high school. Um, her name is Tony, uh, uh, Tony May. And uh, she's married to a man named Zach Phillips. And uh, they have one child. I think her name is Maylin. And... Um, she um, has brain, a brain tumor, and it was growing into her, her stem, her brain stem. It was affecting all sorts of motor skills. It was affecting her walk, her speech, uh, even her face, getting droopy. And, um, and uh, she has uh, one child, and she is uh, about 24, 25 years old, and um, she is pregnant with a baby boy. And... Uh, the doctors, when they first saw this tumor, they said, it's amazing you're even walking or alive. And um, she was recommended to go see a neurosurgeon in Houston. They did that. Before that, the Lord opened a door for them to visit a neurosurgeon in Augusta, Georgia. And um, that's real close to their home. And so they saw him. The doctors were confident, but they said, we want you to get the second opinion. That neurosurgeon in Houston is one of the best there is. So you need to talk to him. And and, and get his advice and things like that. So they flew to Houston, and the doctor there said, you've got to get this taken care of almost immediately. And he said, listen, what, what, what you're dealing with here in Houston, we don't, we're, not an, the, the, we're not an OB, we're a cancer treatment center, and so we can't have an OB-GYN in the room, and so you wouldn't be able to monitor the baby and all that. You'd have to immediately go from there to there, and we're talking about two, three surgeries. You're going to have to be here for about three months. And so that was just kind of the Lord telling them they need to go back to Georgia. So they went back to Georgia, and uh, she had a 12-hour surgery on Friday, and another 12-hour surgery on Saturday. Actually, I think a little bit less than 12 hours on Saturday. 
the surgeries went well. They, they removed the tumor. They, they, um, it seemed like everything was working fine, and the baby was, was going to be healthy still, carrying her, uh, him. And um, that night, her, her lungs started responding poorly, and they had to immediately um, uh, do an operation where they drained her blood or where they drained her uh, lungs and, and delivered the baby. So the baby is now born about, I think, 25 weeks. No, closer to 30, okay. And uh, in, 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 in ICU um, this morning even. And Tony seems to be doing much better. She, her lungs have, uh, have, have been responding. Her heart is getting stronger. And doctors predict that she will make a complete neurological recovery. It's amazing. Wonderful. But I guess what I'm telling the story is because I, I saw a post that, that Zach and Tony had kind of posted together and what they, they said in the post just kind of struck me, and it just kind of convicted me about where's my faith. And what, what they said was, uh, in their journey to Houston and in the way back to Georgia, they kind of determined they were going to take this, go with the, the, the doctor in Georgia. And I remember him saying, like, our, our hope and dependency is not in any doctor, but it's in the Lord, you know. And then this morning, when I, when I checked, re- literally after Sunday school, I just, just checked to see how everything was going, and it looked like baby was going to be okay this morning, and uh, Tony's looking better. And, and in the post, they said, we are, tr- we are praying fervently, and we are trusting God only, or fully. We are trusting fully and praying fervently. I'll tell you, this morning, that convicted my heart. Because I think in that moment, if it was me, I'd have a lot of dependence on that doctor. And I'd put a lot of dependence on those nurses. And I'd put a lot of dependence on this person and this person and this person. But it just, it just convicted me this morning that Tony and Zach, they said, you know what? Our full, our full trust, our full dependence, our full faith is put in Jesus Christ. We're depending on Him to do all this. And he's going to use these doctors, and he's going to, he, he, he's going to use the, 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 these nurses, but it's going to be him that does it. It's not going to be them that do it. It's going to be him that does it. My friends, that's the kind of faith that can give you calm in the midst of a lot of chaos. And I watch Zach and Tony go through this trial, and I'm like, they've got peace that I could never imagine having. And therein lies my point this morning, is that sometimes... God allows the storms in our lives to teach us, to grow us in our faith. Like at the end of the day, God doesn't just want us to discuss faith. He doesn't just want us to talk about it. He wants us to develop faith. And in order to develop faith, I'm telling you, I've learned this. You got to go through some storms. I have learned more about my God in the storms of life than I ever have on the still waters. It has been in the valleys that I have grown in my relationship with God, not the mountaintops. And I tell you, this morning, church, we got to ask ourselves the question, where is my faith? God's there. God is at peace. And God is at work. And so I can trust Him. I can trust Him fully this morning. And I can trust him the next morning and the next morning and the next morning. So no matter how hard the winds blow, no matter how high the waves get, no matter how broken my boat gets, I can trust in him. 
Lord, I thank you that you are a God who does not leave us or forsake us. Lord, I pray that you would use whatever season of life we're in to develop a deeper walk with you. Lord, everything around us is constantly changing. Lord, help us to recognize you don't change, that you are in control. And and man, as life as we know it is stripped away. I pray that it would reveal to us the things in our lives we depend on and we trust in for our joy, for, for our peace, for our satisfaction other than you. May you show us that we are not enough, that we are not sufficient in ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you. May we deepen and develop our faith during the storms of life. As you're bowed this morning, as you're closed, uh, perhaps you've come this morning and, and perhaps you say, you know what, Eric, I've never, I've never asked myself that question. Where is my faith when it comes to eternity and what I'm trusting in? You said this morning, I, I think I would answer that question that, that man, my, my faith is is in my good works or my faith is in a, a profession perhaps I made as a kid or my faith is in a baptismal tank or a church membership. I just say, listen, while all those things may be good things and sincere things, the Bible says that there is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And when Christ died on that cross, he became once and for all the sacrifice for our sins. He was the priest, he was the sacrifice, and he was the deliverer. He rose again to redeem you. Listen, the only place you can put your faith in for salvation is Jesus Christ. So perhaps this morning you say, you know, Eric, I don't know if I've ever put my faith in Jesus, but I would like to. If that's you, could I just ask you to raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Say, I don't know Christ as my Savior, but I would like to. I'd like to put my faith in him for salvation. If that's you, you can just slip up your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Then for the rest of us, can I just say, um, where's your faith at this morning? When it comes to the world around you and the chaos that is brewing everywhere, where is your faith? Who are you trusting? Who are you depending on? Maybe this morning we need to be reminded. He is there. He is at peace. And he is at work. So this morning, while the piano begins to play, you can respond here at the altar there in your seat, whatever you're most comfortable with. The most important part is that you'd get alone with God in your heart in these moments and say, Lord, I'm in a storm right now. And God, I don't know how this all works out, but I am trusting that you do. And Lord, I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to depend on you, not because my situation's right, but because you are always right. You are there. You're at peace. And you're at work. So if the Lord spoke in your heart this morning, this is a time for you to speak back to him, to respond to the things that your heart has received. Pastor's going to come. He'll close the service the way that the Holy Spirit leads him. Continue the service as the Holy Spirit guides this morning.